You may be seated. Till I could come out real loud like they did. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, as you see in John chapter 8, uh, we just read through it. I'm not going to take time to, to read back through it, uh, the entire thing. But most of us, if you've been in church hardly at all, you're kind of familiar with this story. Uh, this, uh, it's a, a very unique kind of a story, but um, uh, the, the religious people of the day, uh, they brought a woman that was caught in the adultery. It says in the very act she's brought 
uh, to Jesus. And, uh, and they asked Jesus, you know, what is your decision basically about her? And, of course, Jesus, this is such a very familiar thing. He says, the one of you that has no sin, uh, you cast the first stone at her. And, of course, uh, starting at the eldest, uh, uh, and you say, why would it, the Lord tell us that? Because uh, the older you get, the more sense you got. Um, amen? Come on, older folks, help me now. Uh, you know, but no, they, the elders had lived longer, so he'd sin more, you know. So he's there, and, he, uh, and they begin to leave and just depart. And, and he says, you know, is, anybody, is there anybody that uh, uh, is going to condemn you now? And uh, is there any man left here to condemn you? And she says, no man. And, and he says, neither do I condemn thee. But then he adds one little statement. He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. We're going to talk about this story. And it, it, honestly, when it, when it starts out, uh, it's going to sound like that I'm really you know, just dealing with this issue of adultery or not. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you've got to lay the foundation for what's taking place here and the thought processes and the things that are going on. And so that's what I'm going to try to do uh, right here. You have to also understand the emotion uh, of this woman that, that right here at this moment, it, she's just moments away from being stoned to death. Anybody here ever had a dirt clod fight? Okay, you ever been hit with a, hit with a rock? You ever been hit with... With a dirt clod that that's pretty solid. Uh, uh, when I when I was a kid, we were we, they were they were grading off a big section of uh, uh, down where the store was, the store uh, out in the country where we lived, and and they were grading there. There and so a bunch of us cousins and all the friends around that we had a, a massive dirt clod fight. Uh, there was a bulldozer standing right in the middle of it. They had parked left there and and. Uh, and we were having a war going on there, and they kept put, taking me out of the fray because I was a little bitty guy, and they kept setting me up on the, on the bulldozer. And I got frustrated because they wouldn't let me play and wouldn't let me do it. So uh, I, I climbed off there, snuck off, and I got me a great big dirt clod, great big thing. And, and uh, my cousin, the oldest one, Larry, he ran over, and he was hiding behind the blade of the, of the bulldozer. And so I climbed up on top of the bulldozer and took my dirt clod and went, right on top of his head and uh and it's because i wanted to play too and uh i found out i didn't want to play anymore but uh <laughs> but you know it's that if you've ever been hit i was my dad i think was telling us the other day about uh the fact that uh his you know he, he and his brother when he was down at the barn they, i think uh, uncle jay was throwing corn cobs at him wasn't it? Yeah, they were soaked corn cobs and he said he turned around and, and picked up a rock and threw it and and hit Uncle Jay right in the forehead and knocked him out. Uh, and so, and uh, my dad just got out of prison recently. And so, <laughs> but, uh, but, but you know, this is, a, this is a wonderful story of the grace and mercy of God. This is a wonderful story of the, of the mercy of Jesus. Uh, there's about to be a new, new thought process coming into religion. It's coming in here, uh, and, and there's something that we've got to understand. A lot of people misunderstand the stories, and they expect that the religious people of the day had this knowledge of Jesus' teaching fully and completely the way we do in the Scripture, but they really didn't. Uh, maybe some of these people had heard the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe they didn't. I'm not sure all that they had heard. 
But this is, nevertheless, a wonderful story of the love and patience of God. This is something that we're going to see all through the New Testament in the life of Jesus. Uh, it's one of the prayers that I have. You that are from Calvary know this. Uh, one of the things that I pray often is I pray and I just thank God for his patience with me. He is so very patient with us because everybody in here, we are all sinners at the very best. We are sinners. Uh, we failed God. We, we fall short of what we should be. And, and, but he is so patient with us and so full of grace with us. And, and that's really where the, the story is going to culminate, but we got to get to that place first. And so we're going to talk about some things that are a little bit more difficult before we get there, but we're going to talk about that. But I want a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you bless. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you please right now that you would just give me clarity of mind. Spirit of God, I yield myself to thee. And Lord, this is not a formality. This is not a gesture. This is not something I'm just going to uh, go through the routine. Lord, I, I need your presence and your power and your guidance and your direction right now. Lord, I want to be a help and a blessing. I don't want to hurt anybody. I want to encourage everybody. I want to, I want to help us to be closer to thee. And, and Lord, I can't do that without your strength and without your power and without your guidance and your direction. So Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself to thee and I ask you, please, guide my mind and my thoughts. Please speak here. Put your arms of protection around this place as a mighty hedge of protection to everyone that's in here right now. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. This story has a lot to do, or, or at least is, is based in this thing of, of adultery. Adultery is a violation of God's moral laws. Adultery is a violation of God's commandments. Adultery is without a doubt a terrible sin. The sin of adultery brings a great price. This is why we have the commandments and the laws concerning adultery. They are, they are to warn us against the destruction that adultery brings to, the, to the life. Uh, they're not, the, the truth of the, of the Word of God is, is there to teach us so that we can have a better life, so that we can overcome sin, and, and when we've fallen into sin, so that we have hope past our sin. But they are to warn us against the destruction that it brings. Proverbs chapter 6 it says this, verse 23, it says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. You see, God says, I've given you the commandment as a lamp to you. I've given you the law as a light to you. And, and for what reason? So that you can see how to walk in this life. So that you can see that there are things that we do. If we do them, they bring destruction. And he said, that destruction, the 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 Bible's going to teach us here in the passage that destruction takes us into the darkness. We go into the darkness and there's destruction. But God says, I have a path of light for you. But he goes on, he says, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. That's describing here uh, adultery. And it goes on to, in verse 27, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? He's trying to, God is emphasizing to us the, the, the destruction and how powerful and how dangerous this thing called adultery is. He said, men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. 
But listen to this. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. It says, he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Now, what God is describing here in, in, in this passage in Proverbs, he's saying, you know, God, uh, we're going to see the grace of Jesus about this thing of adultery, but he's also in Proverbs, he's teaching us the penalty or the repercussions of adultery, and he's saying, you know what? Man, God in his grace will look down and God will forgive any sin that we commit. He will. If we come to him, he will forget. He'll not only forgive, but he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But listen to me now. Man does not. Man doesn't always forget. Man doesn't always forget. Therefore, in this life, that penalty, that judgment, is you're going to have to face it no matter how many times you go to God and say, God, please, I'm sorry. God has already forgiven you the first time you did. But man doesn't necessarily forgive. This is a great warning of the destruction of heartache that adultery will bring to anyone's life. This leads us to this story, though, this story here with Jesus and this woman caught in adultery. It's clear what the Old Testament law says about adultery. And this is another thing, just this is fact that we've got to deal with because we've got two different groups of people here that are that really three. We've got, uh, this, this, we've got Jesus, we've got the woman caught in adultery, then we've got the, uh, the best term, the religious group that has brought her. But this religious group that has brought her up to this point, here's what we have to understand. They're still living under the law. And the law says that the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even if he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. That's what the law of the Old Testament said. Now, at this time, it's the New Testament, but Jesus is in the midst of his teaching. They don't know this new grace. They don't understand this teaching yet. This is the only law that they know. It says in Deuteronomy 22, 22, if a man found lying with a woman married to an husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, uh, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. You see, the people were ready to bring an ultimate judgment upon this woman, but you have to understand this, it was according to to the law of God. You wonder what's the world's going on. Uh, we've got junior church, and we've got a lot of actors in plays and skits over at junior church, so they're just coming in now. And I'm thrilled that they, they're able to do both and come here because they need this teaching. <laughs> but see, the people were ready to bring ultimate judgment upon this woman, but it was according to the law. I want you to get that in your mind. I want you to understand uh, I've read by some how this is an illustration of the legalism of religion. But listen to me, this is in reality the law of the Old Testament. They weren't being legalistic in that sense. They were simply obeying the law as God. Watch this now, as God had given it. 
God came and he gave this law and he gave these penalties for it. Now, the truth was when God created us and, and when it, <clears throat> the Old Testament came uh, into play and the laws of the Old Testament, God, the way he was handling things was as he was saying this, I will make an example of someone so the rest of the people would realize you don't want to go there. Now, Jesus came and watch. Here's what grace does. Jesus came and he said, instead of making an example of them to the world, I will come to them and say, I'm giving you a chance for right to come. You see, the old way gave everybody else another chance. They saw the, this, the result of the sin of adultery and they said, better not do that. This way, Jesus says, do you understand the penalty? Would you come and turn to me? I'm, Jesus gives us another chance. I've read by some, as I said, this is an illustration of legalism religion, but it's in reality the law of the Old Testament. What was happening here, listen to this now, was simply that they had heard Jesus teaching in the way of grace that they had not heard before. We, we, again, how much they had heard, I'm not sure, but they, but they had heard enough that they said, he's teaching something different. He's teaching with a different emphasis. He's teaching with a different heart. He's, he's, he's projecting something that's different from the law. Now, understand, this is all they've known up to this point is the law. And he's teaching something different. So here's what's happening they knew that according to the law, the only answer for this question they're about to, to present to him is Deuteronomy 22, and, uh, 22, 22. And that means his only answer according to the law is that, that she's got to die. But according to the grace of Jesus, they thought they could catch him in teaching a contradicting law. They thought, well, they, you know, he's been teaching something a little bit different. He, they, didn't, they probably didn't even fully understand what this, this heart and this grace that Jesus was bringing. They didn't understand that, but they knew it was something was different about it. And they thought, maybe he'll give a different answer than the law gives, and we've got him then. If he's going to contradict the law, we've got him. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't answer the way they thought he might. What he did was he presented their own conscience to them. You see, they were ready to stone her for the sin, but Jesus says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Here's what he did. He preached a one-sentence sermon. He looked at them and said, okay, anybody here? And, and can I just say, he's still preaching that sermon to us? That's why nobody should ever look down at anybody. There's not one of us is here that's not a sinner. And here, but here's our thing. We don't sin like somebody else sins. And watch this. The only real bad sin is what somebody else does. Because my sin's not real bad. It's always what somebody else does. Now listen to me. That sermon's still preaching today. Let him that sits here without sin, let him cast the first stone. No, the, the truth is we need to be like Jesus. 
And Jesus looked and he said, you know what? Watch this. They're all going to leave because they all know that sin convicted them so much. That, that, that sermon convicted them so much. He said, if you're without sin, then you cast the first stone. And they stood there and realized what he had just said. And they realized, I can't do this. And so nobody's going to condemn. But Jesus says, neither do I condemn them. That's what he expects of us. You know, we don't need to condemn anybody. He brought conviction to their souls from this one-line sermon. Jesus is about to let this woman go free, but let's look at the facts of the story. And I'm going to run, run through this, and, and, and my wife tells me I have to slow down, so I'm going to run through this slowing down. Jesus did not say that the repercussions pronounced in Proverbs would be nullified. I want you to understand this. He didn't say that what we read. Remember what we read in, in Proverbs? How, how that you lack understanding and, and that the, the penalty that's going to be there. These are judgments that are set in motion and are a result partially of how man reacts to the sin of adultery. So there are some things that are set in motion when we commit the sin. Proverbs teaches us that, and I'm not going to go read back through it again, but, but uh, probably should. But, but first of all, we have to understand there are some penalties that come, and it's not God's unwillingness to forgive us of our sin. God is willing to forgive if he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will confess our sin to him. And that's not just acknowledging that, but that's a heartfelt confession where we realize I'm wrong and I need to change. And we look at that and, and he says he will forgive us of that. But listen to me, you have to understand the penalty has already been enacted in the eyes of man. There are some that won't forget and there's some that won't forgive. Did everybody understand this? I wish I could change that. I wish we could all be so Christ-like that we totally forgive and forget. But God said in Proverbs, this is one sin. You go steal, we'll let you, we'll let you off on that. You know, you just pay it back and okay, we'll forgive that. He said, but adultery, he said, you're going to have trouble there. There's some people that don't want to let that go. Second, man is not God, so man will tend to react without mercy toward another man's sin. This may not be right, but it is the fact. Thirdly, man is not fair and just in his judgment of sin. He tends to punish others while letting his own sin pass unpunished. He will punish one more than, than he will another, for man is most often a respecter of persons. That's man. God, Jesus is dealing with man, and Proverbs is really dealing with how man treats man. Fourthly, when Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee, understand he was saying he was not going to pronounce judgment upon her. He was not going to pass judgment upon her. God's judgment, again, through Proverbs, had already been set in motion. Jesus would not be her judge. The word of God had already judged the sin. What people will say and do the rest of your life is set in motion. Now, hopefully some will come to the understanding what true forgiveness is and let it go. But, but it has been set in motion. Listen to me. Remember what it said. It said, but whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. Why? Because he doesn't understand that has set in motion in the minds and hearts of men something that only God and death can stop. 
He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor. Notice, this is the, the human aspect of this. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. This is not God saying that, that, that I, I, I'm not going to, this reproach is going to be toward us from God. God's not saying that. He's telling us how we have to live in this world with other people. Jesus brought grace to all who receive. The scripture says that the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. And Jesus is coming. And now Jesus comes and he says, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to pass judgment on you. I'm not going to say that you need to die for this sin. What does he say, though? He says, go and sin no more. This is where the grace of Jesus comes in. We do not know what he wrote in the dirt. Think about this. I guess he could have just been scribbling or what we call doodling, but I just don't think so. He could have written, I believe one of the possibilities is he might have written the Ten Commandments down because he's about to ask them that if you're above sin, anybody here without sin, you cast the first stone. He might have just took time while he's sitting there and wrote out all the Ten Commandments so they could read them and think, okay, somebody's violated every one of those. And if you've violated one, you've offended all. He might have written, and, and many people have written this, and, my, and, and the real question and, 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 and I, I, obvious question is, where's the man? We got a woman taking an adultery in the very act. Where in the world's the man? The penalty is against the man and the woman. Where in the world's the man? So sixthly, one of the, the sixth thing that I want to say is this. Maybe Jesus, as he's going through all of this and as he's dealing with the situation, as he writes down, where's the man? He, he, maybe he's looking at, and here's the thought. Without a man, what proof do you have she was caught in adultery? Maybe they're trying to, to deceive Jesus and making a faulty judgment here. Because if you got them caught in the very act, then you better have both of them there. And if you don't have a man there, how do we know these people didn't just lie and bring this woman in like this? Maybe Jesus wrote, for whosoever keep the whole law, and yet offend at one point, he is guilty of all. You see, the Old Testament law said there was specific penalty for this type of sin, but Jesus came and truthfully, Jesus brought a stronger law, and that's where people misunderstand grace. They, they come in and, and they think that Jesus, well, Jesus is just going to let all sin go, and, and he overlooks all sin, and he, he's okay with us. No, he doesn't. Jesus actually brought a stronger law. He brought grace to the penalty of the sin. You see, you see the Old Testament law said that there was specific penalty. The fallacy in this, this story it is a misunderstood grace. The men walked away realizing that none there were above sin. None deserved to punish this woman. They were guilty of their own thoughts. They were guilty of injustice. They were guilty of prejudice. Uh, Jesus had, had taught uh, you know, and will teach that even to, if you think the sin of adultery, if you think about this with a woman, then you've committed it in your heart. And so these men knew that they had already violated. They had violated in their heart. They had violated in their thoughts. They had violated maybe in their life. 
The men walked away realizing that none were above sin. None deserved to punish this woman. They were guilty of thoughts. They were guilty of injustice and prejudice. Jesus simply said, I will not bring judgment against you for the judgment, the penalty, the pain has already come. And it came not for you. Listen to this. Here's where the problem. We think that all judgment of God, uh, you see, in the Old Testament, they did have to die, and it was for the people, so the rest of the people could live a better life. It was an incredible warning that God said, if you don't obey uh, what I'm telling you here, this horrible sin of adultery, he said, I'm going to show everybody. Nobody needs to talk about you the rest. Uh, nobody needs to condemn you because you're going to die. And the rest of the people realized that's a place we don't want to go. That's something we ought not do. But now Jesus has come and this adultery has been committed. And he looks at this pain. Jesus says the pain, Proverbs 22, uh, Proverbs uh, teaches us, Proverbs chapter 6 teaches us that this pain has come because of man. This pain and suffering you're going to have to endure. This woman's going to have to walk away and she's going to have to face what people say as she walks in the street. She's going to have to face what people think. She's going to have to face what people do. And I'm not saying it's right. It's just reality. And he says, you're going to have to suffer that. But my, but he gives grace. He doesn't bring an eternal punishment. Jesus simply said, I will not bring judgment against you for the judgment, the penalty, the pain has already come. And it came, listen to this, it came not for your destruction, but for your life. Jesus comes and he says, I'm coming to give you an opportunity to come from the darkness to the light. I'm coming to give you an opportunity to have a better life. I'm coming to give you an opportunity to have a new life in me. Many look at this story and think that Jesus is easy on sin. They think that Jesus says it's no big deal. They say Jesus knows we're all sinners, so he's cool with it since there's nothing we can do about it. Many think that this is the forgiving New Testament Jesus that is not concerned with sin and surely does not believe in being judgmental of sin. The sin, uh, the, the, the conclusion about all this is that Jesus that they preach, that Jesus doesn't care, Jesus cares greatly about sin. That's why he comes to the conclusion of all this and says, go and sin no more. There's a big movement and just like, okay, everybody's okay and everybody's a sinner. And so we're just going to go and walk our life and, and we're going to go through and, and we're going to be, you know, we can't condemn. So we shouldn't say anything's wrong. No, we don't. The word of God has already said us, told us what's right and wrong. And truthfully, the word of God has already pronounced the judgment. So we don't condemn. We shouldn't. The penalty of your sin was already set in motion. The sin was already committed. So that here, here's one of the things that I believe, if we can think in the thought process of Jesus, one of the things that I think maybe is in his mind, the sin's already committed. We can't go back and change that. What we can change is the future. 
He let her live to give her hope. He let her live to give her purpose. He let her live to understand that there's another kind of life you can have. If this is your life or your past, I just want to encourage you, you're alive right now because Jesus has given you hope for the future. Whenever I preach things like this, I, I, I really get greatly concerned because I don't know people's past and I don't know people's present. And I, I refuse to condemn anybody because the truth is, if you knew all of my life and all of my past, you'd condemn me. I'm not going to do that. I don't believe any of us should condemn anybody. But I believe that we need to look at the grace that God gives for the future and not compound the problem. Folks, here's the problem the, this, for the West, this new movement that's out there. It leaves us committing the same sin over and over again. Because Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. Nobody else condemns you. Nobody's condemning you. So it, and they stop the story there. They stop the story right there, which means you come in living that way, you go out living that way. Folks, Scripture says you lack understanding if you continue that way. And watch this. It's compounding the problem. Every day stacks up more condemnation from man. Every act stand, stacks up more condemnation from man. You say, well, God, is there a point where God won't forgive me? I don't think there's ever a point God won't forgive. There is a point if you don't want forgiveness and you continue to live in that sin, I believe there's a point where God will take a Christian home. He'll say, enough's enough, you're coming home with me. But so long as you live and breathing, God will forgive. But what we continue in this sin, we are compounding the repercussions of that sin. And that's why Jesus looked at her and he said, he said, neither do I condemn thee, but watch, we just leave it out. Go and sin no more. Now, don't misunderstand this statement either. He's not saying, go now and live some sinless, perfect life. He wasn't saying that. He's saying, go and stop this sin. Go and stop committing adultery. Go and stop living and committing this sin. Because you cannot begin to rebuild a life until you stop. And God says, watch this, Jesus said, I brought grace that you would have more opportunity for a new life. I brought grace so that you could have hope. I brought grace so that you could find forgiveness. I brought grace that in time, even man might forgive you and man might be cleansed of those thoughts and those actions. I brought grace. But wait, you're wasting it if you continue in the sin. Go and sin no more. 
And again, you got to understand, this is not talking about uh, some sinless perfection. He's talking about this sin. If this is your life or your past, you're alive now because Jesus is giving you hope for your future right now. To put her to, put her to death means there's no grace and no growth. To refuse to pass judgment is truly the only option for judgment. It has already been passed, and Jesus is giving grace so that you can have hope of a new life. True grace lets her live, not to continue in sin, but to learn to live for God. This is why the story concludes with a forgotten statement, go and sin no more. This is why the story does not end with verse 11. Most people, most Bibles, they'll divide it right there, verse 11, and it's a new story, a new thought after that, but that's not, that's not where it ends. Verse 12 is a vital part of this story where he says, then spake Jesus. When? After all these things had taken place, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He's looking at her and saying, don't go into sin anymore, into the darkness anymore. If you're going to follow me, I've given you grace. I've given you a chance. I've given you opportunity. Come on to the light and walk in light. The light of Jesus Christ. Grace allows us to live even though we sin so that we can continue to grow in sin less and less as we seek God more and more. I believe when he says to her, sin no more, he was not saying, go live sinless, but rather the sin of adultery must stop. This is the purpose of grace. It's not so that we can live because it's all about grace. No grace is given so that we may live to grow in grace and sin no more. If we are breathing today, it's not because we have arrived, but because God in his grace wants us to grow. And part of that growth is facing specific sins in life. Please understand this. Part of that growth is facing specific sins in life and coming to a point that we will not sin that sin anymore. If you continue in your sin, the consequence of your sin is compounded with rebellion against God and the quenching of the Holy Spirit. You compound the judgments of Proverbs. You won't overcome all sin in this life, but when Jesus confronts us with with a specific sin and he offers us grace, it would behoove us that we go and sin no more. I just want to say thank God for Jesus Thank God for grace. Because at this point, when this woman was brought, all the people were still living under the law. And according to the law, if Jesus had not been born and Jesus had not come, she would have been killed. Thank God that we can grow in love and knowledge of Christ. But the question is do you know this Christ? This Christ of grace. He saves you from judgment so that you can live for him. That's what he does. He doesn't just erase sin. No, truth is, he strengthens it. The commandments, the law, he strengthens it. He came and he brought truth and grace. And the scripture says, thy law is truth. He, he came to increase the law. He said, you, know, you, 
you commit adultery, you should die. You know, he said, <laughs> if you think adultery in your, your mind, you've already committed it. That's pretty severe. But what he also brought was grace, hope, an opportunity to live. But we waste it when we get up and walk out and continue in the sin. Why did he let us live? Think about this, and I'm done. If this woman, Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. If she left and, and that day, that night, went out and committed adultery again and got caught again. Now, this doesn't tell us whether she did or not, but she could have died the very next day. No, Jesus said, I'm protecting you. I love you. I love you so much, I'm going to give you another chance. I love you so much, my grace is going to allow you to get up. My grace is going to let you walk on with life. He says, but go and sin no more. Walk in the light, not the darkness. That's the plea of God today for all of us. I know this is a more intense, more serious kind of message than a lot of times that I preach, but I'll be honest with you, I just, I ask the Lord to direct my heart, and he usually brings a verse or something to my mind, and that's where he directed me, and, and as I got more and more into it, I saw, you know, this is a lot more of this story than most people really want to accept, but in this day and age, this is the big little phrase that he, our churches are leaving out. Is Jesus a God of grace? Yes. Did he bring grace? Yes. He also said, go and sin no more. Now, you're not going to get saved by sinning no more. Because none of us can stop all sin. And we're all sinners. For the wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So everybody in here is a sinner, and everybody owes the same thing. We all owe eternal death. The only difference in, in two groups of people in here, there's, it's, it's not a division of sinners and not sinners. No, we're all sinners. And we all owe for that sin eternal death. Here's the difference. Some in here have accepted a gift that paid the death. And some have never accepted that gift and therefore still owe the death. Scripture says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died because we owed a death. You say, well, okay, if he died because we owed a death and he died for us, then we're all taken care of. No, he says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you know, when, when I got married, my wife offered me this ring as a gift. She offered me this ring, and, and I had a choice. When she held it up, I could say, I believe it's there. 
I believe that's a ring, and I believe you got it for me, and that's really good. But unless I accept it, it's not mine. It does me no good. The gift must be accepted. There must be a time and place where you say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my death must be paid. I know that I have two choices. I can eternally pay my death. I can die forever trying to pay off my sin. Or I can take Jesus Christ, who's sinless, perfect Son of God, hung on a cross, shed His blood for me, was buried and rose from the grave. He did that to pay for my sin. And I can take that and take Him as a gift. And when I receive that gift of eternal life, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm a child of God. Not because I'm sinless. It's because he's paid for all of my sin. Past, present, and future. Father, I pray that you bless this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and your goodness. Lord, I pray, please, Lord, that you would not let anything disturb the heart of someone that's considering this great option, this opportunity. Lord, it's one thing to, to believe Jesus existed. It's one thing to believe that he died, that he was buried. It's one thing to believe, yeah, I, I, I've seen pictures of him on the cross. I believe there was a person called Jesus. It's a whole other thing to believe that he's the sinless, perfect son of God who died in my place, who died to pay for my sin. It's a whole other thing to believe that he shed his blood for me that I could have eternal life. But not just believe it, but receive it and say, right here and right now, I trust you, Jesus, as my Savior. I ask you to save me and take me to heaven when I die. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. He knows that we don't need to be delivered. He may know that this is exactly what we need to get us where he wants us to be.